Hello and welcome to Dungeon Regular, a show about modules, adventures, and dungeons. I'm Nova, also known as Idle Cartulary, and I'm reading through Dungeon Magazine one module at a time. I'll summarize that module, talk about its strengths and weaknesses, and then talk about a few interesting things about it that could be used at the table or impact your own homebrew design. Today I'm going to talk about The Stolen Power by Robert Kelk in issue number 5, May 1987. In this, a part party of lawful good paladins of European deities to spoil an imaginary cult with a faux Middle Eastern name. I will set aside the obvious problems here and try to find other learnings. It skips the town of Highland and concerns itself mainly with the wilderness travel and a dungeon. It's not an adventure that leans social, and given the weird and uncomfortable cosmology it spouses, I feel like playing this in errant or dungeon crawl classics where magic and the divine are dangerous and not trustworthy might de-emphasize these issues a little. What can we take back to our table from the stolen power, even if we don't use it in our home campaign? Number one, cohesive world building. Highland, the town, is hinted to be a town modeled after the Protestant Christian ethic, so it's jarring that the characters you meet there appear to have faux indigenous names. It's quite jarring and unexpected, but not the subsumes my expectations kind of way. In my opinion, if you're writing up a short town, this one gets next to no description at all, you should be sticking to one solid stereotype. For this, American Puritan town works just fine, given the theme of the module. If you're making it the centerpiece, making it more complex and cosmopolitan is an excellent idea. This middle ground, though, just made me feel kind of uncomfortable. Number two, the accompanying ranger. We have an accompanying ranger in the Stolen Power, whose job appears to simply be to stop the players from using the magic item they've been sent to retrieve. This is a little strange, given the requisite for the players to be lawful good paladins who are sworn to obey good. He's not a guide, and he doesn't know anything more than the players do. He's level one, where the other players are expected to be levels two to three. I think that having a guide like this is not a bad idea at all for a module, but think about the perfect purpose they actually serve. They're a secret mole, or they have ulterior motives, or there's a romance brewing. Sending a cop to monitor the player characters just seems like a bad reason to put them there, especially when the final boss is a succubus, which seems right for all kinds of secondary characters betraying each other. Kind of shenanigans. Number three, random encounters. Okay, so the rando wilderness encounters could definitely be a little bit more tied into the world around them, and more unique and interesting. But some of these are just fun. The Goblin and Bugbear encounters, for example, apparently were just routed from the Elvish settlement, and so they're only seen running wildly through the forest. A newly awakened tree baby is present. This is just cool stuff, most of them aren't, but the ones that are are a reminder that you really can't have too many properly random, random encounters. Number four, settlements. I'm a big fan of settlements, villages, towns, and families. I'm not sure why you'd include one and not give it any characters, places, or relationships to the space around it. It's a really strange choice, but the instinct to have groups of people in the environment interacting with each other is a really excellent one. A version of this module where the goblins, bugbears, sylvans, and elves all had villages or towns and they were interacting with each other as shown by the random encounters, that is awesome module design. Number five, our dungeon. The dungeon's a decent sized one, although a little linear in nature overall, it leaves plenty of room for exploration in side tunnels. It's not filled with combat encounters waiting for the NPCs. One guard is hung over after a party, for example. I also appreciate that for most of the encounters, there's a decent chance the flow's asleep. I think that some of these things would be more interestingly folded into a custom reaction table for the space, 
but it's a good touch that shows thought has been given to alternate ways of approaching the encounters. This, in my opinion, is always a thought we should give when designing encounters. Number six, interesting treasure. There is some stellar, stellar treasure here. One great example that's worth exemplifying is the Ring of Clumsiness. It's a cursed ring. It destroys your dexterity. But it gives the wearer the secondary gift of Featherfall. This is the module that all magic items should follow. They're always both a blessing and a curse. They're powerful, but they have serious drawbacks or limitations. If we've squeezed all magical items, even our plus one swords, into these kind of boundaries, then we would have far better magical items and far more interesting encounters. That's the stolen power in a nutshell. I hope that you'll join me for the next episode of Dungeon Regular. If you have any questions, please reach out. I'm on Twitter, Blue Sky, and Mastodon at Idle Cartillery. I write reviews and blog at playfulvoid.game.blog. If you'd like to support Dungeon Regular, please visit my Kofi at co-v forward slash idlecartillery. You can make a one-off donation or become a member. Members get free copies of Dungeons regularly and get to see bathtub reviews a week in advance on my Kofi before they go public. Our theme music is an extract from Turn the Page by Kirk Osamayo on the Free Music Archive, used under a Creative Commons license. Thank you for listening to Dungeons Regular. Dungeons Regular.